0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Ranking Presence Podcast. And it's a big one today. This time, we have finally made it to Abraham Lincoln himself on a stage.
1: Yeah. The Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. I mean, need I say more? This is part one of our hard hitting Abraham Lincoln analysis. Yep.
0: So, naturally, we won't be ranking him today. No but, rankings. But we are going to talk a lot. So, Curtis. Tell us a little bit about his life and his personality, like who was Lincoln because he's a he's a larger than life figure, but what do we really he, know about he's
1: him? He's also a bit of an enigma as we will as we will come to find out. So let, let's talk about his early life now. Like Lincoln himself, every aspect of our analysis this time around is going to be big because mm-hmm. there's a lot out there on a lot of aspects of Abraham Lincoln's life. Yeah. So he was born on February 12th, 1809, to Thomas and Nancy Hanks Lincoln in Hodgenville, Kentucky. Now, one fun fact, his grandma's name was Bathsheba.
0: Bathsheba. <laughs> I believe that was on his father's side. Hmm. I did not know people gave women those those type of local names. That's I, interesting. Yeah, you know, I
1: was about to say. Yeah.
0: Um, and he was
1: born in a one-room log cabin with dirt floors. Mm. So much like Andrew Jackson and a few other presidents, I believe, uh, I believe Van Buren was another one that was kind of born in that, one of those cabin presidents. Yep, yep. And Millard Fillmore. And Millard Fillmore. Yep. Um, now, Thomas's father lost all but 200 acres of his land in 1816 due to property disputes, so he moved the family to Indiana where land titles were more stable. Yep. Lincoln later mentioned this was also partially due to Indiana being a free state, because mm-hmm. they didn't believe in slavery. Yep. Now, Thomas and Nancy were part of the separate Baptists, Ooh. which forbade alcohol, dancing, and slavery. Yep, all the three big uh, vices. vices. Now, on October 5th, 1818, Nancy unfortunately died from milk sickness, which I was wondering, what is that? Yeah, sounds very strange. Yeah, so apparently... Milk sickness was caused by drinking milk from an animal that consumed snake root. Mm. Now, snake root is a plant that contains the poison trematol, which is lethal, mm. unfortunately.
0: It's, it's very interesting, all those little diseases they had back then. They're mm-hmm. just caused by things you wouldn't even think about. Yeah, I,
1: I guess the reason that no one has that now is, or at least most people don't have that now, is we kind of just screen our milk.
0: Yeah, probably. and not only that, there's probably contained within yeah. these farms where, like, yeah. you know, they spray pesticides yeah. and stuff to kill. Not pesticides, but stuff to kill that sort and,
1: of thing. And plant. they 100% control what the cows eat. Yeah. Now, this left Abraham's 11... It's weird to just call him Abraham.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, fine. I mean,
1: I didn't want to write Abraham Lincoln over and over and over
0: <laughs> It's like one of those people you just want to call him by his full name. <laughs> like,
1: Abraham Lincoln. I mean, it's not like we called Andrew Jackson Andrew.
0: Yeah, or like George Washington, just George. Yeah, well, George. We're he on was a pre- first
1: name basis. Yep. Yeah. So this left um, his eleven-year-old sister Sarah as the lady of the house. Now she would pass away ten years later due to giving birth to a stillborn child, Ugh. and this absolutely devastated Lincoln. Now Thomas remarried in eighteen nineteen to Sarah Bush Johnston, mm-hmm. and Abraham developed a close bond with her and even called her mother. Okay. Now, Lincoln did not get along very well with his stern father. Mm. Sarah, his uh, stepmother, often, often took Abraham's side and encouraged his education. Interesting. Now, here's, here's a funny little anecdote about uh, Lincoln in his early childhood. Now, Lincoln was known to dislike hard physical labor associated with the farm life. Mm. His family
0: even went so far to call him lazy. That's so interesting, because the common conception of Lincoln is always this hard-working yep. man out there chopping wood, and I yep. did not know that. Now, this was early on. This was, like,
1: pre-teenage
0: years, Right, right. So, but, before he developed that
1: work. But still, like, it's crazy that, like, they called him lazy due to his incessant, quote-unquote, reading, scribbling, writing, ciphering, and writing poetry. We <laughs> guys want to write poetry. So, I mean, uh, Abraham Lincoln grew up grew up as a soft boy. Yeah. His stepmother, Sarah, even admitted that he did not enjoy physical labor, but
0: loved him some reading. Mm. I remember, like, okay, if you ever a little kid and went to the library, I remember people would always talk about, it. Abraham Lincoln was a real reader. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like, that's, like, the one, like, defining, like, thing that kids are taught about Lincoln. Yeah. Now let's talk about his life as a young man. Mm, young Lincoln. So Lincoln's parents could not read or write. So Lincoln had very little formal education. He only had about 12 months' worth of formal education his Mm. entire life. Wow. Yeah. The rest of his his education, as we alluded to earlier, consisted of reading voraciously. Books he borrowed from his friends. Interesting. In his teenage years, Lincoln began to work outside of the house and, resentfully, gave his father all of his earnings until he turned 21 out of obligation. Ugh. Yeah. That would suck. Yeah. And, then, and during this time, Lincoln grew like a weed to six foot four, still the tallest president. Our tallest president. And was known around the town as being strong and athletic.
0: <laughs> so he went from, I guess he got used to physical labor then. Yeah,
1: I get—I guess, guess so. He was, re- oh, no, this, is, this is one of my favorite things about his childhood. He was renowned for his wrestling abilities. <laughs> I'm going to wrestle you. Specifically, the rough catch as catch can style. <laughs> now you might be wondering what the heck is catch as catch can style. Catch as catch can. That is that is a tongue twister I've ever heard one. Yeah. Now I, I looked it up, and, like, there was a lot of, like, oh, yeah, it has to do with, like, grappling and holds, stuff like that. But what it boils down to is this is the style that would later go on to inspire professional wrestling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Abraham Lincoln helped create WWE.
1: Pretty much.
0: Yep. He, he could, John, John Cena it was a lot to him. <laughs> he
1: could throw down with uh, Macho Man Randy Sepp. Yep. And uh, he became the county wrestling champion at age 21. And he gained a tough reputation after winning a wrestling match with a leader of some local ruffians. (laughs) Local ruffians. Known as the Clary's Grove Boys. The Grove Boys. (laughs) That's incredible. Like, this man was a folk hero. Yeah. And uh, in March of 1830, Lincoln moved to Illinois out of fear of a milk sickness outbreak.
0: Mm, That would make sense.
1: So let's, uh, let's hard cut into his romantic history. because mm, there's some interesting things about Oh, him. there are some interesting things. His first romantic interest was Anne Rutledge. In 1835, they were in a relationship, but not engaged. Mm-hmm. She then tragically passed away in 1835, due most likely to typhoid fever. Right. Now, in late 1836, he became engaged to Mary Owens. They both started to second-guess the match, though. Mm-hmm. In 1837 he wrote a letter saying he would not blame her if she ended the relationship. <laughs> and she never responded.
0: <laughs> yeah, what I heard is that they were very different because she was coming from a very wealthy family mm-hmm. and he was, you know, dirt poor. And yes. a lot of people would say, you guys aren't a very, very good match. Mhm. he's like, how can he provide for you? Yep.
1: Now, as we all know, he ultimately met Mary Todd. Yep. He met her in Illinois in 1839. Now, before his wedding... To her, he was anxious and was kind of, like, pacing around. And when someone asked where he was going, he responded, to hell, I suppose. <laughs> to hell, I suppose. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Like, he was full of, like, he's known as the quippy president for a reason. Like, yeah. he had all these fun little anecdotes that we will, I'm sure, dig dig through while we go through these many, many Lincoln episodes that we... I don't even know how many we've decided to do. Yeah. Like, at
0: least two. At least two. Maybe three. Maybe There's three. more to talk about.
1: Like, honestly, we could just do one podcast where we just look at quotes all, like, for 45 minutes. Yeah, 45. we could. <laughs> um, now, Lincoln was known as being remarkably fond of children and mm. was known not to be a very strict parent. Mm. His law partner, William H. Herndon, who we will hear from again, yes, once noted about his children... I felt many times, uh, this is a direct quote from him, I felt many and many a time that I wanted to wring their little necks, <laughs> and yet out of respect for Lincoln, I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> Lincoln did not note what his children were doing or had done.
0: <laughs> it, it's almost like his, his own father was so strict that he's just like, I want to be a different dad. Yeah,
1: pretty much. Like, Lincoln was basically the Gen X of his time.
0: <laughs> yep, yep,
1: just let them do whatever they want. Yep. So let's talk about something a little more salacious.
0: Ooh, I like let's this. Let's
1: talk about questions regarding Lincoln's sexuality.
0: Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Let,
1: let, let's get into we this. We had a, a little,
0: little bit last time, James Buchanan. We now we're getting into something interesting. Yep, yep, yep.
1: Now, historians have argued for years about the strength of Abraham and Mary Todd's relationship. hmm In 1840, Lincoln called off his engagement to Mary Todd and entered into what many experts refer to as something approaching clinical depression. Mm. Many, including Lincoln's law partner Herndon, placed the blame on Mary Todd for this this bout of depression. Historian Gene H. Baker, however, who was a historian and biographer specializing in Mary Todd, argues that the Lincolns had a strong relationship, quote-unquote, bound together by three strong bonds. It's oh, sex, are they? parenting, and politics. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's
0: incredible.
1: Now, Baker blamed the majority of anti-Mary sentiment to Herndon himself, actually. Okay. And Baker also asserts that the
0: Lincolns had a very active sexual relationship throughout their marriage. <laughs> I wonder, like, did this guy just talk to Lincoln randomly? Was he like, hey, tell me about last night? Like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> let
1: People really studied this stuff out yep. somehow, um, and uh, Baker even put forth the three to four year gaps between their children as evidence that they were part of the increasingly progressive sexual practices of birth control. Okay, okay, so, like, yeah, like they were they were basically having sex for pleasure as well because they were like a really close couple. Okay, okay, so, which is interesting. That's um, interesting. Herndon, conversely, swore that Lincoln loved Anne Rutledge in a deep, unshakable fashion. Mm. And here's, some, here's a little bit of hearsay for you. Okay. An anonymous poem about suicide published locally where Lincoln lived three years
0: after her death is widely attributed to Lincoln. That is interesting. Mm-hmm it would make sense i it would probably would have been done by him cuz he liked to write poetry yeah. and he, he was, did have a relationship with this and story. he was a deep deep hole at that point yeah
1: now let's talk about let's add a little bit more to this equation here okay there is also debate about if lincoln exhibited bisexuality ooh very interesting I I present to you evidence number one. Okay. He once wrote a poem about two men married to one another. And I will now read to you this poem in its entirety. Okay. For Reuben and Charles have married two girls, but Billy has married a boy. The girls he had tried on every side, but none he could get to agree. All was in vain. He went home again. And since
0: that, he's married to Natty. Mm, Okay. Like, you can't tell how much of that is a joke yeah. and how much of that is, like, you know. It was, a, it was
1: actually censored from the paper that he published it in at the time. And it was recovered in, like, 1940. Wow. And was stored by the wow. historian. Yeah. That is cool. Mm-hmm. Lincoln was also very close to his best friend Joshua Speed, who he lived with and slept in the same bed as for four years in the eighteen uh, in the eighteen thirties, I believe. Interesting. Now, here's a direct quote from a historian: Joshua Speed and Lincoln corresponded about their impeding marriages, and Gore Vidal regarding their. Uh, let's see, um, and
0: sorry, what's my place? Oh, no problem. Yeah, that's just. It's always interesting in the presidential sexuality, Mm -hmm. because, especially with the older ones, you don't really know a whole lot, so a lot of speculation. Mm -hmm. Very interesting.
1: So they corresponded about their imputed marriages, and regarding their letters to each uh, other—oh, that's—okay, so Gore Vidal was a, uh, I believe, a historian, Mm -hmm. who kind of looked back and regarded their letters to each other as having— Evidenced a degree of anxiety about being able to perform sexually on their wedding nights that indicated a homosexual relationship had once existed between them. Interesting. Interesting. Now, conversely, some have argued that this was not uncommon at the time for just two guys to be sharing a bed together and living together. Yeah. And Lincoln was never attacked by political opponents for any
0: homosexual leanings. Interesting. Yeah, where well, James Buchanan was attacked for that, you know, Aunt yeah. Fancy.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. So uh, that's kind of like a summary of like what I found. Like, there's obviously like more hearsay and stuff yeah. about it, but like uh, fascinating uh, kind of deep dive into like um, who Abraham Lincoln was. So let's get a little bit into his personality. Yeah. So let's just start with the enneagram. This boy is a nine.
0: Yeah. Oh it's, yeah. Definitely like, a nine.
1: Like. There are very few nine presidents. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the
0: peacemakers, right?
1: Yep. 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 Um, here, here's a quote from the website I uh, consulted regarding this. As a type nine, Abraham tends to be accepting, optimistic, and adaptive. Mm-hmm. Abraham generally likes peace and avoids conflict. Mm-hmm. He wanted to protect the sanctity of the Union, after He all. did. Very interestingly, he was a president during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Lincoln, in terms of, like, his physical characteristics, had a high-pitched voice and thick frontier accent. Mm. He, repla- he uh, constantly replaced git for "get," mm-hmm. and he also replaced thar for there. Mm. Kind of like to give Guitar. some... thar Yeah. At the same time, his behavior was dignified, and he was known for his inspiring words. So despite, right. like, his, his rough, like, kind of high-pitched accent, like, people really respected the way he talked. Yeah. So, in terms of, like, how he actually conducted himself, I, I ripped a quote directly from my favorite website um, to research presidential personalities. It's called The Presidential Ham. Oh, <laughs> I love that one. It's a great website. Everyone yeah. needs to check it out. Yeah. So, here, here's something I ripped directly from them. By all accounts, Lincoln was disarmingly unpretentious. Okay. A plain-spoken man genuinely interested in people and their problems. A good listener. He typically sat in silence, rubbing his chin while a visitor explained his point of view.
0: Mm. Well, there are always all those pictures of him rubbing his chin, yep. so. mm-hmm. He was at his best in relaxed
1: conversation with small groups. His ready wit, down-home logic, and seemingly ender- endless store of anecdotes delivered those, delighted those present. His custom of inters- <laughs> inters- interspersing con- conversations with incidents, anecdotes, and witticisms, commented one observer are well calculated to impress his hearers with the kind-heartedness of the man, and they are so adroitly and delicately mingled in the thread of his discourse that one hardly notices the digression. Mm. Uh, unquote. For all his good humor, however, Lincoln had a dark side. He wrestled with severe bouts of mental depression. Right. longtime friend Joshua Speed Ooh. recalled that when he first met Lincoln, then a young lawyer, quote unquote, I looked up at him and thought then, as I think now, that I never saw so gloomy and melancholy a face in my life.
0: Yeah. Well, that's often tends to be the case someone who's really witty or can be really funny. A mm-hmm. lot of times that's hiding, you know, with some deep sadness. Yeah. But... Lincoln
1: himself once complained, quote-unquote, if what I feel air equally distributed to the whole human family, there would be not one cheerful face on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Whether I should ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebore, forebode, I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die
0: or be better, it appears to me. Mm. I can, like, see him right now. Yeah. like it's, That's so interesting the way they described him. Lincoln spoke, uh, let's
1: see. Um, yeah, no, that's just repeating what I said. So yeah, that, that basically ends the quote.
0: That's very interesting.
1: So yeah, that, that's kind of a, a short snapshot of, like, who he was.
0: That's, uh, thank you for that, because that's really, really cool. So now, I'm going to talk a little bit, and we're going to get into some of his beliefs. So, let's start with the biggest question in the room. So, everyone knows he's the president that ended slavery.
1: The Emancipation Proclamation.
0: Yeah, but what did he actually believe about slavery? And did he
1: believe the same thing in the beginning as he did at the end?
0: Exactly. So, let's start with a quote. Now, this is from April 1864. I am naturally anti-slavery. If slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. I cannot remember when I did not th- so think and feel. But his real thoughts on the issue were a bit more complicated and developed over time. First of all, Lincoln was raised with a vague sense of anti-slavery. His great-uncle Isaac owned slaves, but his parents did not. And as you mentioned, they were part of the Baptist church that actually split with another Baptist church over slavery. But since Baptists were, tended to be more Calvinistic, they weren't big into societal reform. So he moved to Indiana because Indiana banned slavery, but that was actually despite William Henry Harrison's efforts to keep it as slave. At the same time, most Hoosiers and Illinoisans, where he would later live, did not like African Americans. An English farmer named John Woods wrote about Illinois, though now living in a free state, they retained many of the prejudices they imbibed in infancy and still hold Negroes in the utmost contempt. Laws in Indiana and Illinois banned African Americans from marrying whites, testifying in court against them, or harboring fugitive slaves. Illinois was especially bad, as it had black laws, which what a governor of the state would even call say was repugnant to our political institutions. That's how bad it was. They said they couldn't learn learning writing arithmetic apprentices, and if they aired Illinois, they had to post a thousand dollar bond. As a result of all of this, in Lincoln's early life, he probably rarely encountered slavery or black people. His first major encounter with it was when he was 20 years old, helping transport goods in New Orleans, which was an epicenter of the slave trade. Now, when he became a lawyer in the 1840s, he would represent multiple slaves for freedom, as well as one Marvin Pond for helping a fugitive slave. However, he also represented a slave owner in 1847, although he lost the case.
1: Interesting. I didn't know
0: that. Yeah. it It was common to do that because the idea at the time was, as we'll get into later, yes, slavery is bad, but let's just keep it contained. Mm-hmm. So, the best way to describe Lincoln's early views were anti slavery but not abolitionist. Like most anti slavery advocates of his time, he didn't want slavery to expand, but he believed the Constitution guaranteed it to the southern states.
1: So, kind of a, kind of a John Adams I type of way of dealing with
0: it. Yeah, probably. however, like people like John Adams I and Henry Clay, he was in favor of colonization, you know, sending them off to Africa. Mm. He believed that the two races couldn't live together in peace. In 1854, in a speech at Peoria, Lincoln said his first impulse would be to free all slaves and send them to Liberia, a colony for freed blacks. He didn't like the idea of freeing them and letting them stay. This is a direct quote. What next? Free them and make them politically and socially our equals? My own feelings would not admit of this, and if mine would, we well know that those of the great mass of whites will not. We cannot make them our equals. Oof. Yep. That's
1: pretty terrible.
0: Yep, pretty terrible. So he would repeat this sentiment when he met black delegates on August 15th, 1862. This is the first such meeting in American history. You know, black delegates had never met a president. He said, you and we are different races. We have between us a broader difference than exists between almost any other two races.
1: Oh, God! The
0: practical thing I want to ascertain is whether I can get a number of able-bodied men. You know, I lost my place here. Able-bodied... Sorry, I lost yeah, my I mean, place. that's... I,
1: I knew that he harbored, like, some, uh, oh, let's just, um, I don't want to sugarcoat it, like, I mean, mm. the idea of, like, thinking you're the superior race is white supremacy, so, like, yeah. white supremacist ideas. Yes. Um, but, man, like, some of those quotes are, like,
0: rough. Yeah. So he asked them if they had any able-bodied men with their wives and children who are willing to go to Central America. Now, in his debates with Stephen Douglas, now put a pin in that, because I'm going to discuss that a little bit more when I get to his uh, political career, mm-hmm. he expressed some pretty racist opinions. And one debate, he said, The proposition there is a struggle between the white man and the Negro contains falsehood. There is no struggle. If there was, I should be for the white man. Now, when Douglas expressed horror at the idea of mixing white blood with black, Lincoln said, Agreed for once, a thousand times agreed. Oh, gosh. There are white men enough to marry all the white women, and black men enough to marry all the black women, so let them marry.
1: Oh, frick.
0: Yep. <laughs> it gets worse. He also said during debate, I will say then that I am not, nor have ever been in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races, that I am not, nor have ever been in favor of making voters and jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to old office, nor to intermarry with white people. And I will say in addition to this that there is a physical difference between the white and black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. I say upon this occasion I do not perceive that, because the white man is having a superior position, the Negroes should be denied everything. So he's like, yeah, I believe all this white supremacy stuff, but that doesn't mean I think they should be denied everything.
1: What year was, what, did he say that? This
0: was right when he was, I think it was 1856, when he was writing against Stephen Douglas, yes. but I could be wrong. It was around that time. Hmm. So opinions at first in the Civil War was the same, not being big fans of generals, being slaves, and feeling a bit cautious about laying slaves in the army. Now, as for voting, he told one union governor in Illinois that perhaps the very intelligent among those that fought might be allowed to vote, but that was only suggestion. And Frederick Douglass, in the slavery section, had this quote about Abraham Lincoln. He said, Abraham Lincoln was preeminently the white man's president. We are at best only his stepchildren. Union was to him more than our freedom to our future. Ooh,
1: that just cuts right to the heart of it, doesn't it? It
0: does. So, that was some pretty, you know, challenging material. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Lincoln's religion, because... Okay, so, quick question. Sure, sure, sure.
1: Did his views ever progress past that?
0: Um well I wanted to save some of that for later, but he okay. definitely
1: so, so we're gonna save like part of his beliefs on slavery for later.
0: Yeah, I was yeah, but more so not so much his beliefs but his actions. His beliefs didn't necessarily change, but his actions changed as the Civil War went on. Gotcha. And he went from he went from being like more just anti slavery to believing no, we need to get rid of slavery right now, right here. Yeah. So and this actually ties in his religious beliefs, interestingly interesting enough. So what were they? Well, it's complicated. As we mentioned earlier, Lincoln was raised Baptist, but as an adult, he was less than orthodox. As a young man, he would get into arguments, claiming the Bible is just a book and that Jesus Christ was illegitimate. And oh, shoot! Side note, so Lincoln throughout his life sometimes wondered if his dad was really his dad, and that there might have been, you know, some other... Yeah, some shenanigans. Yeah, some other shenanigans. So we wonder how much of that might be concerned concerning his own parentage. Now, as he got his late 20s and early 30s, he got a little more careful, but he never formally joined a church. He thought it hurt him when he lost his bid for the House of Representatives, 1843, saying, It was ever contended that no Christian ought to go for me, because I belong to no church. Later, he would say, That I am not a member of any Christian church is true, but I have never denied the truth of scriptures. I have never spoken with intentional disrespect of religion in general, or of any denomination of Christians in particular, so, you know. He's like,
1: listen, I've said some edgy stuff, but I'm not Thomas
0: Jefferson. Come on. Yeah, Exactly. But this didn't mean that he didn't have religious opinions. For example, he believed that a general sense of universalism, that verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, where it says, As a man all dies, and Christ all be made alive, mm-hmm. he would quote that often. And he, and one person associating Isaac Cogdale, said regarding this had a discussion with Lincoln in his office in 1859 about, about uh, religion. And he said this, Lincoln expressed himself about these words. He did not nor could not believe in the endless punishment of any one of the human race. He understood punishment for sin, but the punishment was print on its object, aim, design, intended for the good of the offender. Hence it must cease when justice is satisfied. So, in other words, he was a universalist. Now, whatever the truth of the matter, Lincoln did have a bit of religious revival during the Civil War.
1: Interesting.
0: He would write, "In the present Civil War, it is quite possible God's purpose is something different from the purpose of either party. God either saved or destroy the Union without human contest, yet the contest began. And having begun, he could give the final victory to either side any day, yet the contest proceeds. And he'd become convinced God wouldn't let the Union win unless Lincoln's ended slavery. Ooh,
1: starting to get a little, like, religious, like, I was put here to do this type
0: of thing. Yeah, and when he told his cabinet this, they were shocked, because they're like, you, you don't talk about religion that much, you don't seem that religious. Now, Alan Guelzo, Gwil- a professor of Civil War studies at Gaysburg College, wrote about this encounter. When he asks why he's doing this, he says, the answer he says is, I made a vow, a covenant with my maker, that if the Union Army defeated the Confederate Army in Maryland, which it did the Valentinium, I would send a proclamation after them. And it was so astonishing to his cabinet that one mayor of the cabinet actually asked him to repeat himself. Now, despite his words of skepticism, Lincoln gave special attention to dreams and visions. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, he did. did. At
0: one point, he had a strange water dream, so he told the Navy Department about it. He said in his dream he was in a singular and indescribable vessel that moved with great rapidity towards a dark and indefinite shore. He said he had the same dream before all these major battles, including Gettysburg. He once had a dream about his son, Tad, and his pistol. He sent a telegram asking Mary Todd to take away Tad's pistol because I had a bad dream. Mm. Now, some have claimed he had a dream of his own assassination, where he looked at his own body.
1: That's what I read.
0: But it's hard to say if this account is necessarily true. But cabinet members mentioned that Lincoln had the dream about being on the boat the morning of the assassination. It was like he's going on another journey. So, let's transition from talking about, you know, Lincoln's beliefs and all that to his early political career. So, what was he doing before he became president? Well... In 1831, Lincoln went to the town in New Salem and quickly made a name for himself. You know, beating the town bully in a wrestling match, as you do. Oh, yeah. He then said, I'm going to run for Illinois State Legislature. Why not? He's like, you know, I made a name for myself. I'm going to do it. But then he ended up volunteering for the Black Hawk War against Native Americans. He ended up not seeing any action, but it distracted him so he couldn't campaign for office. So he lost. But
1: at least he got to hold military office for a second. Yeah,
0: he did. Now, Lincoln was an anti-Jacksonian early on. He wasn't a big fan of Andrew Jackson. In fact, he supported the National Republican candidate, Henry Clay, in 1832. Now, despite this, old Jackson made Lincoln postmaster of New Salem. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Jackson just keeps on coming back up. He keeps on making little cameos. Like,
1: we just just can't get rid of him.
0: Yeah. Now, this is partially because no Democrat won the job, and Jackson wanted to avoid appearing too partisan in local matters.
1: Oh, God forbid people think of Jackson as partisan. Yeah, I am just like, I'm
0: partisan, hardly. <laughs> I challenge you to a
1: duel over that
0: fact. Yep. Uh, I wonder who would win in a wrestling match, Jackson or Lincoln. Dude, how, I mean, Jackson was fairly tall, wasn't he? Yeah, he was and, like he, six foot. and he was a fighter, and he did do a lot of duels, but I don't know if he ever did any yeah, wrestling. I, I was about
1: to say, like, Lincoln would be like, all right, how about you... Uh, put those pistols down and count me like a man. Yeah,
0: someone needs to make, like, a death battle match of that. Oh, that would be incredible. Now, in 1834, he didn't win a seat for the Illinois state Legislature. But here's the reason why. He had no platform statement, made no promises, and gave no speeches. You want to know what he did? What did he do? He visited every family in the county, (laughs) shook hands, and told jokes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yep. And even
0: Democrats supported him. However, his wing impulses showed early on as he supported internal improvements and a state bank.
1: Not the bank. Not the bank.
0: Not a Jackson man. In 1837, his anti-slavery sentiment showed when he opposed the resolution in Illinois to condemn abolitionists. But in 1840, he supported William Henry Harrison. Oh, no. And he criticized Van Buren, forget this, for one time voting to give free blacks the vote in New York.
1: Oh, so gosh. it's just
0: like, you know, Ooh. it's like, oh, you're doing so well. Oops. Yikes. Now, he would leave the local state legislature in 1841, but would come back to be a Whig representative in 1846 in the House of Representatives. So this is his first time in national politics. Yeah. Now, during his time here, he would criticize old Polk for the alleged Mexican attack on American soil.
1: Yep. We mentioned that a couple yep. of
0: episodes ago. He left office in 1848 and campaigned for Zachary Taylor. Then in 1854, he tried to run for the Senate, but failed. Then, in 1856, he joined the Republican Party, because the Whigs were gone.
1: Yep, new party.
0: Yep. He would actually get on the ballot for VP in the presidential election, but failed. But he stumped for John C. Fremont in the election of 1856. But the most famous event that Lincoln did before his presidency, as far as politics goes, is challenging Stephen Douglas in 1858 for the Senate. So Stephen Douglas was the little giant. He was a big man. He was the guy who sort of spearheaded the Kansas-Nebraska acts. Yep. So they had a series of debates. They had seven debates for 70 days across the entire state. That's a lot of debates. And this was a big event. Like, people came from all over to hear this. Yeah, like,
1: this was, like, the television.
0: Episode. Yep. Douglas was a bit weak since he had opposed the admission of Kansas as a slave state by Buchanan due to border roughness. So he sort of backed away from his disposition that laid him vulnerable. During one debate, Lincoln would make his famous house-divided speech, where he said, "...a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. I do not expect the Union to be dissolved, I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will rest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that is the course of their ultimate extinction," or the advocates will push it forward till it should become alike lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. And Lincoln said "There's debates, there's going to be a dozen more Bleeding Kansas episodes. Like, you think this is bad, it's going to happen constantly. Yep. He accused Douglas of being part of a secret cabal to bring slavery to flee states. And he, he didn't did. think slavery should be stamped out in the south, except maybe gradually, but he definitely thought it shouldn't go into new territories. He
1: was a lot more like George Washington than people wouldn't admit.
0: Yeah. He also said slavery was against the Declaration of Independence, and his existence was against the Founding Fathers. Douglas, in turn, used racist arguments, calling Lincoln abolitionists and saying, well, the Founders owned slaves, what are you going to do about that? You, you you, want all the races to mix. So Lincoln had trouble answering this. You know, we, we mentioned those quotes earlier before, but here's the context. Because he couldn't both declare slavery was immoral, and that African Americans insert rights to the Declaration of Independence without also angering all these rape based attacks, because... Here's the reality, and, you know, I don't want to make excuses for people. We never make excuses for anyone.
1: No, we just lay out what they believe Yeah.
0: Here's, here's the thing. Who are the only people who could vote in Illinois? White men.
1: White landowners, probably.
0: Yes, white men. So most of them are white supremacists. So you're not going to going He had to play this game in order to win their vote. Now and, that,
1: I, and I think it comes back to a, to a reoccurring theme that I think will even become more of a theme in, like, the later, like, 20th century presidents, like, you don't get to this level of office without making some really, like, huge compromises, and, like, a Mm -hmm. lot of them are
0: morally dubious
1: and, like, kind of awful.
0: Yes, exactly. It's almost like getting to power takes those compromises, and it is immoral to do it, which is, that's an interesting topic all in itself, but... Now, of course, the question arises: Well, did Lincoln really believe all these things he said during the debates? And we ultimately don't know because we don't know what he said outside of yep, those about. He it. was he
1: was rather tight lipped. Yeah.
0: About his beliefs. But considering where he was born in, in fact, he wasn't a big abolitionist early on. We can assume he at least believed some of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Lincoln said during the debates there were differences that would probably forever forbid their living together under the footing of perfect equality. At the same time, he said there is no reason in the world why the Negro is not entitled to all the natural rights and numeric declaration of independence, the right to live life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, as I mentioned before, that didn't mean they could vote sound juries in a hold office. They could just work and not have their money stolen. Now, interestingly enough, in those days, the Senate, U.S. Senators were not chosen by a direct vote. Mm-hmm. Instead, the voters would elect the state legislators who then elected the U.S. senator. And although Republican candidates won a slight plurality of popular votes, the map of the districts favored Southern Illinois, which was Democratic. Mm. The Democrats elected Douglas over Lincoln, 54 to 46. So he lost. But here's the thing. These debates have made Lincoln famous. And because everyone knew about him, like, here's a guy who's going to defend the position of the Republican Party. And that put him as a front runner as a leader within the Republican movement. Setting up a few things, Donald. Yep, so that's all I had to say about Lincoln's career. So, very, very We're again, we're all, we're not even got to his actual presidency yet. I'm already, I already find it more fascinating than before.
1: Yeah, like, um, not gonna lie, like, you, you, uh, you kind of busted a few bubbles for me in terms of, like, what I thought about Lincoln going into this. Oh, yeah,
0: like, what were some of those bubbles? I
1: mean, I knew, I think the main slavery quotes I was familiar with was the ones where, like, he was early on in favor of, like, deporting slaves to Liberia, basically. Yeah. But, like, I had, I had never heard any of those ones where he, like, talks about, like, his actual, like, supremacy beliefs. Yeah, exactly. And, like, those are not ones that will ever be printed in history, like, school history books, unfortunately.
0: No, no. and it's it makes, obviously we'll talk a whole lot more about this, but it's what makes him so complicated. Because on one hand, people want to celebrate because it is a big thing in enslaving yeah. in the country. But on the other hand, there's that disappointment behind it, too, where it's like you could have been so much more, but it's just you held on to these other beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, but Curse, we obviously didn't do a State of the Nation this time. It's a different episode. But we still do have a final caucus for oh, you. We,
1: we got to do a final
0: caucus. Got to do a final caucus no matter what. So, give us what's the final caucus for today?
1: Alright, so I have a simple one, not a whole lot of setup. I'm just gonna read you a quote by the man himself, Abraham Lincoln.
0: Mm-hmm. Got to let him Speak for himself.
1: Yep, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask how this applies to us today. Okay. Alright, here's a quote. The people, the people are the rightful masters of both Congresses and courts. Not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert it.
0: Mm, Okay. So,
1: Brad, I tell you, I ask you,
0: does this apply to us today? What does it mean to you? That's a very good one. So what it means to me is I think a lot of times people will often, you know, get so attached to their own political party and become sort of a zero-sum game. But they have to remember that these are just people and they can choose to pervert it all they want. Like, you, just because someone is elected that office doesn't mean that they respect the institutions upon which the office is set. Yeah. And a good example of that is we saw just how many people, you know, it's, okay, let's be honest here. Let's get into talk about, we have to keep on talking about Trump, but it's, it's, it's a current event. So, the fact when Trump clearly broke the law multiple times and, you know, almost all of the people in his party still voted to keep him in. You have to think about that for a second. It's like even with the whole political game, like oh, we gotta win. It's like how much are you willing to sacrifice of the principles and the Constitution in order to make that a reality?
1: Yeah. At, at what cost are you yeah. are you doing that? And like the at, at a certain point, like when someone is like breaking laws over and over again, and this applies to any president. Um, yeah. But I mean, especially Trump because he's a criminal. Yes. Um, Eventually, like, when you say, like, oh, yeah, I'm the president, I'm the defender of the Constitution, like, eventually the Constitution just becomes a word.
0: Yeah. That means nothing. Yeah, it's like, if you're going to swear to protect and defend the Constitution, like, you have to meet it in some way, right? You have to have at least read the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or at least have some interpretation of it, or some interpretation of how we ought to interact with it. Yeah. And that's one thing I've noticed, like, to get, uh, here, here's a little conservative commentary for you. It seems like people don't talk a whole lot about whether stuff is constitutional anymore. Have you noticed yeah, that? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, like that's actually, so that actually ties back to Abraham Lincoln. Because so Abraham Lincoln, one problem we always have with dealing you know, with slavery is like, like it's like, well, it's in the Constitution, so what do I do? Because he was sort of very much a man of the Constitution. Yeah. Whereas a lot of abolitionists at the time, interestingly enough, did not like the Constitution at all. They were like, this is an evil document, that tried slavery, we need to get rid of it. And that's why, spoiler, down the line, Abraham Lincoln will go for a constitutional amendment yep. to slavery. hmm So, but have you noticed that we just don't talk about constitutionality anymore?
1: Yeah, like it seems like the only time I hear the Constitution brought up is either, like, I mean, I think the most vocal, like, aspect of that is the Second Amendment, oh, yeah. followed closely by the First Amendment. yeah. Like, it seems like people are either, like, kind of harping on, like, oh, yeah, the Second Amendment is, like, this sacred thing, and, like, this is what I'm all about, or, like, the First Amendment, like, it protects my free speech, or whatever. Yeah. And, like, aside from that, like, people don't really, like, either read, like, the first part of the Constitution, or, like, the rest of the Bill of Rights, and, like, uh-huh. it,
0: what does it all mean holistically? Yeah, That's funny, because, yeah, I feel like you could apply that to only almost any sort of religious document, too. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting how we use the same language. You're to right. Refer to
1: it. You're right, like. I think the whole idea of, like, America is a Christian nation in the sense that, like, yeah, I mean, politics resembles religion a lot
0: sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're interested in that, there's actually a YouTube channel called Religion for Breakfast. He's doing a series on American civil religion, so go check that out if you're interested. But back to your original question, it's a, it's a good thing to keep in mind in any representative government that... You, it's not just that the people, the representatives are going to represent you, you have to force them to do it sometimes, Mm -hmm. and you have to hold them accountable when they don't do it or when they go against something central that's holding the nation together,
1: or even something that they said they were going to hold sacred when they don't actually do it in practice.
0: Yeah, because like you mentioned earlier, Paul, in order to get that level of power, you have to, in some ways, do immoral actions and you know, lie, you know, give fake promises, or like you know, go back step on other people yes there are people so you really have to by nature of it hold them accountable now how that works that's tough difficult but. there are
1: no easy answers and I think that uh, our our methods of kind of uh, looking at a present holistically is so much more
0: interesting than like kind of like looking at history of being like is he good or bad yeah exactly it, because even though we rank them it's more of like this is more of a spectrum of ranking like, yeah and like
1: in and like we're not ranking, like, them based off of solely, like, oh, yeah, how moral were they? Like, although that factors into the secret sauce. But
0: exactly. At a certain point,
1: you got to realize that, like, I mean, these people are products of their time, and, like, mm-hmm. they believe some horrible stuff in their time.
0: Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that we're really demystifying them because you can get this idea of, like, oh, you know, if the Founding Fathers were around today, they would fix these issues. Is like... No, they had just as many problems as our presidents and we do today, and just as many hang-ups and just as many dealings and just as much stuff. They were people, just like you, me, Trump, Biden, Obama, all of them. Humans have always been this complicated, just straight up. Yeah, and politicians do change their minds sometimes. I was actually watching a video about the Civil War that brought up Barack Obama. Yeah. When he first started out, he was very much opposed to gay marriage. Mm -hmm. His position slowly changed over time. So, did he change his mind, or was it just politics? Probably a little bit of both. Probably a little bit of both, you know? it's Probably similar for Lincoln, going from, you know, actually getting rid of slavery. hmm So... And uh, I read this
1: I read this interesting quote um, by him, where it said something to the effect of, like, yeah, I mean, like, every time someone tries to argue, like, in a pro-slavery position, I'm like, well, I mean, how about we uh, apply slavery to you and see how you like it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's... We we've kind of said this a couple times, we're like, Man, like, Lincoln, you're so close to actually getting it, getting it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's so, so interesting.
1: It's easy for us to look in our like in our like twenty-first century kind of like, oh, we can see like the full breadth of history and how horrible this is, but like you also have to think like at a certain point, like a person views slavery and like how how does someone not see that as evil?
0: Yeah, exactly. It has to somehow get in your world compass. And one thing I think that they really got to is, like, they would still claim, like, a lot of Northerners who are pro slavery would still claim, yeah, it's bad, but, I mean, I like this guy who owns slaves. Yeah, but, you know, it's a peculiar institution. You know, they say they take care of them. Okay. Yeah, I mean,
1: it doesn't really impact me.
0: Yeah, yeah. There are ways to sort of justify your way around it. You can yeah. do that with anything. And right? I think that, like, if I were to, like, circle it back to,
1: like, the culture we live in and, like, how to, like, properly, like, navigate, like, oh, yeah, we have this idea of, like, wokeness It's kind of thrown around in, like, a negative connotation, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, like, people are just, like, trying to, like, appeal to everyone and, like, not, like, be, quote-unquote, offensive to anybody. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. I think that ultimately, like, how I kind of view that stuff in, like, my personal life is, like, I try to look at it to where I shouldn't have to experience something firsthand to be moved to defend it. Yeah. Like yeah. I shouldn't have to experience sexism or racism in order to acknowledge like no this is bad and this is something that people deal with even yeah. if I don't deal with it.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to keep an open mind about these things and really just try to listen to different perspectives that are different from your own and you know even if you don't necessarily agree at first, you know, just 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 give it a listen, you know, give it give it some thought, give it some time. And especially when people are talking about things that affect them on a deep deep level. Yeah, on a okay.
1: deep level and on a daily level.
0: Yes, on a daily level. And I, I kinda wonder almost if Abraham Lincoln's life would have been different if, say, for example, because he was, you know, in the north in you Illinois, know, there were a lot of black people. He was he was in a bubble. Yeah. What if he was like John Brown and was in interactions with them all the time? Like was interactions with Frederick Douglass on a more regular basis, you know, when yeah. he was younger. Maybe maybe it would have been different. What if he
1: attended the women's convention of I forget what year it was, but the one we talked about a couple a uh, couple episodes ago. Yeah. Day.
0: But as sort of a counterpoint to that, if he had done those things, would he have ever become president? So, exactly. That's, a, that's the million-dollar question. It's
1: a big what-if.
0: Yeah, it's, it's and it, it does seem like eventually he got the idea that it was his mission to get rid of slavery. Which...
1: And, and that, that brings up another interesting point. Like, uh, when we think of the Civil Rights Act,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we don't think of LBJ. No, we We just don't. don't. That's but, true. But we can't separate the... Uh, the Emancipation Proclamation from Lincoln. Yeah. Like, in our minds, we we automatically think of Lincoln before we think of the Emancipation Proclamation.
0: Yeah, I think part of that is just because the Emancipation Proclamation was... Now, Lincoln was being pressured yeah. to do it. Yeah, but and, something.
1: and it wasn't te- technically a governmental like policy mm-hmm. act.
0: Yeah. And I also just think because Lincoln has such more of a larger-than-life personality, whereas LBJ was a VP who took over for yeah. John F. Kennedy. He was basically just kind of like riding the rest of that policy out. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting, and I think with Lincoln specifically, the fact it was the Civil War, too, you know. Yeah,
1: so he kind of had all of that, like, loaded into it.
0: Yeah, but that is Abraham Lincoln Part 1, and Part 2, we're going to look at his presidency, and maybe we'll rank him, or maybe we'll do another episode.
1: It'll just be what uh, we're fancying at the time.
0: Exactly, so thank you for joining us. I am Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. And stay ranking.
1: Rank.